You know, you can be seen as a leader in any role you have. And, and I remember early in my career, one of my bosses said, you know, when you are the one that your peers call for insight or ideas or feedback, you'll know you're ready for that next challenge and that you're the leader. And, and I think that really matters. And you can be in any role in the organization, but be the leader for your team, regardless of, of your role. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to CEO Sessions. I've got a great one in store for you today with Lori Stacy, who's the Chief Executive Officer over at Trader Interactive, a Goldman Sachs and a Eurasio portfolio company. She's based up in Virginia Beach, and she joined Trader Interactive early in her career and quickly rose to the ranks from sales manager to national sales trainer, general manager, director, president, and then finally, all the way to the top, the corner office as the CEO. Now, if you're not familiar with Trader Interactive, they're the leading provider of digital marketing and online advertising for the lifestyle vehicles and commercial equipment industry. Collectively, y'all, collectively, they reach over 7 million monthly unique visitors through their online marketplaces, powering thousands of dealer websites and offer unique tools, et cetera, et cetera, for uh, customers running their businesses online. And some of their brands, you've probably heard of it. CycleTrader.com or RVTrader.com. Yes, RV, like the recreational vehicle. RV Web Services. Just a lot of good stuff here with Trader Interactive. And a little bit more about Lori before we dive in here. Lori has also served as a senior leader for Dominion Enterprises, where she successfully transitioned a print-based business to a fully digital company. And she's passionate about driving digital growth through innovative offerings. Lori, Welcome to the CEO Sessions. Thank you so much, Ben. Great to be here with you. Yeah, we're going to have a great one in store. So let's dive right in. What advice do you have for parents who are striving to balance a demanding work schedule with their personal goals? Yeah, that is a good question. So uh, first of all, I'm a mom of four kids. So gone through the ranks. I have all the way from 22 is my oldest mm -hmm. all the way down to 12. So a nice balance in there. But when I had my oldest son, I actually was at our pediatrician office. It was right before I was going to go back to work from maternity leave. And my pediatrician, who was a working mom, her husband was also a doctor at the practice, just gave me great advice that I always tell at least new moms. And it's helped me mm -hmm. throughout my entire career which is, you know, if you're going to prioritize giving 100% to your family and you're going to prioritize giving 100% to work, you must be okay exporting out the less critical aspects of your life, like mm. cleaning and laundry and letting things go. And that allows you to have that greater share of what's really important in your life, like playing on the floor with your kids. And, uh, you know, you just can't do it all. And I think it is that balance of you can have it all, but you can't do it all. And that message yeah. has, has kind of stuck with me. So it's about building your team, it sounds like. And also being, like you said, letting things go to always having the perfectly organized, tidy house. Lord knows with four yeah. kids. I mean, I've got one. And yes, the one kid is, is enough 
uh, from a tight, <laughs> from a tighting challenge standpoint. So, um, for, so for leaders out there, uh, it, it goes back to me, it goes back to this word of delegation. People okay. often spend time trying to like they're an, an SCEO and you rising through the ranks, you've probably been pretty successful at delegating because it, as your mm-hmm. CEO, you can't do it all. Uh, have you found, or, or what have you found to be the over overlap or, or some of the, some, some of the synergistic things with delegating as CEO versus delegating in your personal life? Yeah, that is a good question. I think it comes down to two things, delegating and also saying no. And I'll touch on both of those things. Right. From a delegating perspective, um, I think that it's, it's actually a bit easier in, in the workplace, right? I think everybody has very clear accountabilities and everybody uh, you know, knows where they need to go. And, and delegating there, I, I kind of always look at what am I good at doing that I should be doing and kind of going through that delegate and elevate exercise of who can I give this to where they can be successful and elevate and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, at home, it's a a little bit uh, different because, you know, I, I, everybody does have their own things, but we all work as one, as one unit and kind of have to pick up for each other in different ways. So I probably would say I have to be more delicate at home than at work <laughs> um, in, in, in the delegation phases. Um, mm-hmm. My husband actually decided early on he's a stay-at-home dad. And so I want to just be careful about like, I don't want to over-delegate there. Um, and I think the other thing though, that's probably played a big role for me is the saying no. Uh, And that is true in work, but also at home. So Hmm. I don't volunteer to be the homeroom mom, right? Like I have to say no, I don't do those things, but I still want to be able to contribute. So for me, my prioritization is maybe at lunch, I can go to the uh, class party and actually do something with my child where I'm Mm -hmm. combining my priority of time with my kids with an obligation, instead of trying to do things outside of family and work that take me away from those two things. So that's the other piece I think has been helpful. That's Yeah. So, so what do you say to working parents who face mom guilt or dad guilt? Mm -hmm. So like, uh, and this comes up while I hear this mentioned, you know, a lot, even from my friends, like, Oh, even though it's not convenient at all for me to go pick up my kid from soccer, I've got dad guilt or mom guilt. And so I'm going to like twist myself into a pretzel to get there, uh, to make it happen. Yeah. For, and that I've definitely had throughout my career, you're always going to have some form of guilt, but especially early on when I went back Mm -hmm. to work, because almost everyone I knew was stay at home moms. And and that was hard. I think for me, I prioritize, like I said, it's about, I want that quality time. I don't necessarily get as much quantity time as those stay at home moms, but I want the quality time. I want to be the one that's going to the birthday parties. I don't ever want to miss a birthday. I want to be able to go to the soccer games. I want to, as I mentioned, you know, when I come home, I, I want to be able to sit and spend quality time with my kids. And uh, instead of rushing around and trying to figure out like, what is the dinner plan? Or, Hey, I have something else I need to go do this evening. And, and just prioritizing that quality time. And for me, I actually, when I, my kids were very young, I would go to work in my suit and then I would come home and I would put on what I called mommy clothes. Like it is now my time to let everything at work go for a while. I got on the floor and played with my kids and I actually did physically need that separation for me um, to be able to make sure like I'm, I'm not checking my phone. I'm not thinking about work. I'm literally 100% dedicated to this quality time. And I think that's made a big difference in how my kids perceive my work-life balance. And then I know they, 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 they see I have a lot to do and a lot of responsibilities and I, and I do work a lot and I give it my all. But when I'm with them, I am with them. And, and I think that they really recognize that aspect and I'm there for the big things. I love it. I was like, 
it's like Superman or Superwoman going into the uh, proverbial phone booth to change into your <laughs> your parent right, clothes. Right. Like <laughs> exactly. I'm present, and a lot of times, you know, I can see that really being important because we need that transition. We, I mean, we're not just robots where we just click on from work yeah. to personal, and so giving ourselves that moment of of, of transformation to be present. Now, what strikes me is you've selected an industry that's 24 hours, uh, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. The internet does not go down, at least not usually, uh, you know, you're, and you're on. So what do you do to like when you're, okay, you, you go, you change into your parenting gear and you're like, man, I've got a board meeting coming up or I've got, I've got issues. Uh, I've got emergency things. How are you getting yourself into that place to be fully present with your kids when the rest of the world's spinning? Yeah, that is a really good question. And I think every parent probably experienced that when everyone went remote over the last couple of years with COVID is how do you balance it all? Um, For me, there's a couple of things. I mean, certainly in this COVID world, I needed to very quickly create a space where it's like, when I go in here, I am back in work mode. And that is this office here that used to be a guest room. Um, And at the end of the day, it's like, I need that space. And when I'm in here, I'm working. And when I come out, I'm not working again. And and at the same time, to your point of it being digital, Mm -hmm. um, I try to not check my emails. Uh, You know, when I go down, we eat dinner together, no phones, everyone sits at the table, we're all talking. After dinner, I may quickly glance at my phone to make sure there's no issues. But always before I go to bed, I'm checking my email. And first thing when I wake up, I'm checking my email so I can see what is going on. But then I'll put my phone down, we'll get the kids off to school, and then I go into work mode again. And of course, always available via text. And I think that's really where it's, you know, can you separate out prioritization where maybe if it's email, it's not time sensitive and that important. But if I get a text, like I have to act. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that balance, uh, you know, and clarity also helps kind of put things in motion. Do you, do you have an assistant that's sort of like a firewall or where, what's, how do you manage that with inbound calls from clients or from yeah. other people in the company to like, what's, what's urgent? versus not like you might be getting a text about, Hey, don't forget it's Sally's birthday at the company. And like, you don't need that to interrupt you during your parent time, but Hey, we've got three websites down. We need help. You want to hear about that. So what's, what's the firewall if, if there is a firewall for it? Yeah, there maybe there needs to be more of a firewall. Um, I think at the end of the day, like the email is really our main form of communication. Mm-hmm. And that is internally, externally. And I think that's the easiest way to vet it. I think, you know, if somebody is texting me, it's a really important thing. Okay. And, and we do, we have Google chat as well. So there can be chats going on all the time. And those are less urgent. I think for me, um, I, I guess I'm my own uh, person vetting and glancing, like, is this important? This is not important. I think also from the company perspective, uh, and I guess maybe because I really prioritize that work-life balance as well, and hopefully, you know, have instilled that within the organization too, that, mm. you know, we don't want, uh, you know, people, you know, getting called in on things on the weekends or on the evenings, unless it's important. And so if you hear something in those alpha hours, it, it's probably important. Got it. Uh, that's a big distinction you made. So you're really, you're talking about work-life balance for yourself. So you're role modeling that for the organization. What else have you put in place to help send that message in an industry that's, at least from my perspective, probably not the most work-life balance-friendly mm-hmm. industry? 
Yeah, I think that is a really good question. I think that, you know, we talk a lot about work-life balance, especially when we got our, our employees home with COVID. Um, you know, I think we were very flexible mm-hmm. in that within two days because we're digital. It's like everybody goes home. We were very you know, empathetic. And we actually did, we, we did coffee chats with our employees on Thursdays where everybody could come together and we could talk about like, what is hurting our work-life balance and how are we handling those things? And mm-hmm. we had different people speak to that. Anyone in the employee could, you know, the employees, we asked them, everybody's on this coffee chat. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? So we could share our best practices and ideas and across, you know, 400 employees and, and, and make sure that everybody kind of understands that, that that's important. Uh, and it doesn't mean we don't have to work during certain things. If something happens, we're all hands on deck and we got to do it. But otherwise, we really just want to make sure that we're able to get things done um, in, a, in a reasonable fashion and, and still give people time to to dedicate to their own personal life, which is why we all work in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of good points there. And I think for leaders listening and just articulating the words work-life balance at work and inviting conversation shifts things culturally. Because a lot of times, at least in a lot of like when I was working in corporate in the corporate environment, that was not allowed. Like it, mm-hmm. I could have said yeah. it, but no one else is talking about right. it. And if the yeah. leadership, if the CEO is not going to utter the words work-life balance, then you right. better believe if anybody else is, that's not a good thing. Right. So you, yeah. you've been able to, yeah. so I guess it's having that. So it's one, it's role modeling it like you're doing. And one, the other one is, I guess giving them permission to talk about it, and you went, you even amped that up further by having these coffee chats where you're inviting other people to come talk about it mm-hmm. in a very public forum. So that's yeah, a great way to do it. A simple way to role model it too is don't be the one that's sending emails out in, in after hours or on the weekends, right? Like you can't do it. And there's times guilty you have as charged, to, right? Yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, we have to, but there's a reason why there's that send, um, you know, that's where yeah. you can schedule the send for yeah. another time. So even if you're working, let's that's not let your hack. entire organization feel it. That's a great hack. So even if you're a leader and you're, and you're sending out emails, use the scheduling function mm-hmm. in Microsoft, or you can use Boomerang yeah. app if you're in Google or whatever to schedule out to go out in the net the next day, because I can, I mean, it's, it's so hilarious where people say, hey, you don't need to work on the weekends, team. You just don't need to do that. You need to enjoy your time with your family. But yet the boss is just sending emails relentlessly that everyone needs to follow up yeah. on. It really just, so you, So yes, sending the right message by your actions, not just by talking, just like parenting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly about. right. Yeah. So, and like I said, that yeah. it makes it more meaningful when you do need somebody to do it during those off hours and they understand that the importance so we're talking about industry here with RVs, uh, truck, commercial truck trader. These are probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, but largely male demographic uh, readers and traders and whatnot. And you've kind of grown up yeah. in this industry, uh, r- having r- risen to the top, and you've really prioritized uh, basically making the leadership team and the employees uh, and the broader uh, employee groups more diverse. What has that journey been like for you? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I, you know, 
all of these vehicle industries. I started on the auto side first and foremost before moving into these. They're all very do heavily dominated. Honestly, technology is very heavily male dominated um, with our new owners, you know, private equity making really great strides there, but, but very male dominated. So I'm very used to always being the, the only female in the room. Um, so I think that for me, um, early in my career, I was well back through college, right? Working at a company that was actually female founded and very female dominant. I had um, two older sisters, um, you know, and, and a younger brother as well, but kind of always had my, and my mom, who's a big role model for me. I always had kind of that female representation. This was really the first time where I was like, wow, I'm really, I, I don't think I really noticed it until I started mm -hmm. to move up in my career. And then it became much mm -hmm. more evident. Um, and I think for me, there's a few things that made it easier. I think first and foremost, um, I did find other women, uh, typically not in the business leadership side, but in HR or in strategy or other parts of the company to build really good camaraderie with. And, and also you have to have good camaraderie with your male colleagues. But I think it was really great when I had those women leaders to go talk to and develop great relationships with for when I was going through something challenging, like as a working mom, and they could help bring balance to the conversation. Hmm. I think the other thing I was very lucky, and I always tell young women working in their careers of, you know, you, you, you may be found at a time when you're going to look different than anybody else in your company. And this is true for any diverse individual. But if you have an advocate or a sponsor, not necessarily a mentor, but an advocate or a sponsor who has a seat at the table, mm -hmm. um, you know, they really can help be your voice and, and find opportunities for you throughout your career. And the way you find those individuals are by being that top performer and just having those standout results. And, you know, leaders know who their top performers are and, and seek them out for opportunities. And I think the other thing that goes along with that is, you know, look for ways to get outside of your day to day and volunteer to work with a committee or um, something else, you know, a, a volunteer, you know, lead your volunteer organization within the company or, or a work group so that you can get some exposure outside of your own boss. And that's kind of how you can, you know, find that sponsor, that advocate that'll help pull you up through your career, which I think is really important. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. I really like that because it really opens the playbook for people to think more broadly than their job. So yes, maybe doing a great job performing well at your, at your current role, but maybe other people in the company don't know about it other than your boss. Mm -hmm. And that's a dangerous place to be because if no one knows other than your boss and your boss exactly. leaves, who do you have that's left? Right. And so I liked that strategy that you just shared about volunteering to, to help in other areas, to help other groups because you can bring more value and then that can not always, but enact the law of reciprocity mm -hmm. where, yeah. Hey, you've been helping me, Lori. And, uh, you know, I want to, you know, what can I do to help support you in your career? And that could be a yeah. great dialogue to get into. Absolutely. What's the one trait that you wish you could instill on every employee and why? Okay, I have three um, that <laughs> I, I always talk about. I, I can't balance right. it to in, one, but in they're order all, of priority. Oh, oh, okay. I think um, first and foremost, you've 
internal drive. I mean, internal drive, curiosity, and work ethic are the three that I always talk about. And the reason why those three are so important is you cannot teach those three things. You want every, you know, you, you need to teach yourself. You need to drive yourself to get that. Your boss can't help mm. you with those things. So having that instilled in an individual helps their development path as a leader mm -hmm. for you to help them so much more effective because they already have that internal drive to do it. They're going to work hard to be successful and mm -hmm. they're going to ask all these questions that will help them make better decisions in their career. You can teach people skills and so many other things, but those three things are really hard to teach. Wow. All right. So internal drive, curiosity, and work ethic. And yeah, teach, I mean, teaching work ethic, I mean, it, it, very difficult, if not impossible, to teach work ethic. So, so I'm assuming this is something, you know, as a CEO, and you're hiring people or you're working with people who are doing the hiring and whatnot, you're prioritizing these, right? You're saying, be on the lookout for these characteristics. What's a question that you'd ask somebody to help uncover uh, one of these key traits like internal drive, curiosity, or work ethic? Yeah, I think curiosity is is probably one that's the easiest to tell in terms of an interview because are they asking you questions at, throughout, right? If they're mm. just sitting there and at the end they don't have any questions for you, they're probably not that curious. So that's the first <laughs> okay, thing that stands out. I think uh. another question to be able to ask there is just like, when did you get, tell me an example where you were put in, in, in a project that you didn't really know anything about. How did you get to the other side? Like take me through the steps of things you needed to learn and how you did that, um, I, I think is a good one. I think in terms of work ethic and internal drive, it's take me through your past career history and how you've got from one place to another and what made you stand out against mm. other people mm -hmm. to make you a top performer. And sometimes you'll hear them talk about their drive and not so much work ethic, but the drive of, of, you know, I recognize this opportunity. I did this to go above and beyond. And those kind of things help, help kind of highlight that. Yeah. I love it. And it really is also when you're asking those questions, you're really revealing how they think. And right. if you, and if once you understand that, then you can begin to build upon that uh, for them. But foundationally, where, where do that, where is that? The other thing that comes up for me is grit, perseverance, resilience. Yeah. I think you can probably also tell those from those same uh, questions that help, help uncover that. And I think extra internal drive is so important, especially considering the opposite, which is external drive. In other words, mm -hmm you're offering financial bonuses. And yes, that can help inspire, motivate someone to go from point A to point B. But if you're thinking about like inside your organization, keeping them around for the long haul and keeping them moving forward, there's got to be an internal drive aspect to, to it at some point. Yep. So uh, we often work with leaders around the catastrophic cost of turnover, which our research shows can be over $235,000 per employee per year. So, so it really adds up. Do you believe that this is a cost that organizations should be tracking? Yeah, I, I do think it's an important measurement. And I also think it's very often overlooked. Uh, in our organization, we consider each position costs at about, we look at it about 140% to replace is, is the measurement okay. we use. Um, and, but the other thing on the other side of that is, you know, sometimes turnover is a positive thing. Uh, if somebody's lost that drive yes. and that passion and they don't <laughs> want to be here anymore, like we understand that, but keeping your quality employees is really a key priority. So we track 
voluntary turnover versus involuntary so that we can recognize awesome. the, the bad, the bad turnover mm-hmm. and, and really focus heavier on that voluntary turnover number and how can we impact that and the engagement and satisfaction of our employees. Man, what a, what a powerful response there. First of all, you are the first CEO out of 80 that has a number of methodology that they've shared on how they track their uh, cost of turnover. Interesting. So you've got your 140% number. <laughs> I, I, you know, that's easy to remember. And, and yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, I think, and, and I think what's even cooler there that resonates with me is you're, you're applying it to voluntary turnover. So a lot of people, a lot of leaders, they want to just affect turnover by having these affecting all employees. But but when you do that, you kind of dilute your resource pool and your time and Mm -hmm. your energy, especially in an organization where you're prioritizing work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And so it allows you to be more surgical, take like surgical strikes where you need to really impact turnover. So uh, sounds, sounds very, very wise. Well, let's see here. Without including names, what's your most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired? Oh yeah. Um, probably don't have a great story that I'd feel comfortable sharing, although there's been plenty of them, but what I will say is that <laughs> no I, names. I'll say, <laughs> you don't, don't, you don't have say, to tell us her names. Yeah. Better well, I, I, I'll, I guess I'll start by saying, I mean, for me, the hardest or most colorful ones are always when a termination is not expected. So I believe Ooh, strongly, yeah. I mean, transparent dialogue and giving coaching along the way. So if it gets to the point of termination, you know, ultimately it's like we should part as friends, right? We want to set you up for success. This isn't where you're going to be successful, you know, best of luck and move on. Um, And I I try to be transparent about what's expected. And, you know, the ones that don't go well are typically not performance driven terminations, but really values based terminations like Mm. ethics uh, Mm. and things like that. And so those always become, the difficult ones, um, they're typically unexpected on both sides and need to be addressed with swiftly. And, um, you know, that maybe that'll be my summary of, of, uh, there's, there's been a couple of those that have have been quite colorful. Well, you're going to leave us wanting more, which is an okay, (laughs) that's an okay place to be for that question. So when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Yeah, I, I, I have a couple of different ones, but I, I think I'll, I'll say the one that probably had the most impact. So I was new in my general manager role. Um, I had a difficult boss who pretty much made it clear he didn't want me in that role. Um, and, uh, you know, it was later he uh, was terminated and, um, you know, it, whole different part of the story. But there was a dispute that came up between a customer in our market who also was the customer in another market. And there was this whole group that called that was set up. It was me. It was my boss. It was the regional manager of the other um, area who was disputing this issue with the customer and the president of our division who I'd never met before. And the regional manager was really throwing my team under the bus for a mistake that was made supposedly. And I I just wasn't going to play that game. Um, He was very much my senior. I was in my early 20s in this point of my life and could have been easily intimidated by it. But instead, I was just really well prepared for the discussion. And I wasn't going to play the game of throwing him under the bus. I was going to be very professional. And I was able to really articulately walk 
through the situation, which brought to light the reality of what happened. And ultimately, mm -hmm. what that did, although it was exceptionally stressful, it showed the positive impact our team was actually driving for the customer uh, versus the other team. And, and, and it let the facts do the talking. And I always tell people, like, it, it doesn't make sense to just throw people under the bus. It, like, just let the facts do the talking and walk through what that was. And the president of the division who was on that call Ultimately, because of that situation, it became my sponsor in our organization and ended up being that voice for considering me wow. and pulling me into opportunities because of how well I had handled that situation. And that to me was, was quite a turning point of, of taking a difficult situation and just handling it with the right level of integrity um, and, and how that you know kind of spiraled into to a positive outcome. So a couple of things I, I hear. One, lead with the facts. Not a bunch of opinions on what happened, but just let the facts uh, speak for themselves. Also, I heard you got prepared for that. So it sounds like a really complicated situation with districts and whatnot. And so, but you did your homework to make sure that the facts were clear. And um, also this idea of you never really know who's watching and paying attention. And uh, that day, someone that... <laughs> could really be a high influencer for you happen to be in the call. And uh, so showing up, I guess, showing up consistently as a leader too, uh, yep. make uh, really increases the likelihood of uh, having a good batting average there. Yeah. And I think just taking the emotion out of it and doing what's mm. best ultimately for the company. Yep. Like it wasn't about defending like, Hey, we make mistakes. We live up to the mistakes, like just own it. But like, what's really best, the best outcome for the company and taking your own emotion out of it. And, yep. Um, you know, and doing the right thing. And I think that that speaks volumes, even if that even if the outcome had meant I had to take responsibility for it, and there was a, a different way, I still would have mm -hmm. wanted to handle it the exact same way. Yeah, I can remember back in my corporate days where I would get on the defensive pretty quick, pretty quickly. And I think sometimes in some organizations I worked for, I had every right to be <laughs> defensive because it was about attacking each other. But yeah, I think there were other, I think I, that maybe happened earlier on for my career. And I had a problem mm -hmm. shifting that mindset in the later organizations where, Hey, everyone was just like trying to get to the bottom of what's going on mm -hmm. so we can fix it for the customer. Yeah, And so, uh, I love that kind of awareness there. So what are three, now you've already, Lori, you've given us a lot of success strategies already. I mean, from work-life balance to getting to the facts of the, of the matter, but what are, what are a few extra additional success strategies that uh, every employee needs to be keeping in mind these days? Yeah, I think it'll tie into the same themes we've talked about, but mm -hmm. I would say, you know, first and foremost, always let your work speak for itself, right? Like kind of in that story, outperform your expectations at whatever level you are and, and set the pace for the rest of your peers in a positive way. So it, it starts with performance, right? You got to do that. I think the second thing is, you know, you can be seen as a leader in any role you have. And, and I remember early mm -hmm. in my career, one of my bosses said, you know, when you are the one that your peers call for insight or ideas or feedback, you'll know you're ready for that next challenge and that you're the leader. And, and I think that really matters. And you can be in any role in the organization, but be the leader for your team regardless of, of your role. And then I think the third thing is just that extend your reach beyond your role to gain that visibility. You can lead that initiative and, and you know, join that committee that we talked about. So that that is how between performance, proven leadership and, and visibility, that is how you find that sponsor or that sponsor finds you to help you in your career. I love those. 
and we you would really hit the let your work speak for itself already thematically through this, which was which is awesome. But I'm glad you moved into being seen as a leader, regardless of your position. Uh, my company we, we provide a lot of leadership training, and that's that's like the first foundational module is what's a manager. Versus what's a leader and a leader, like in a manager, you have to be chosen to like, I'm, I'm the person on the org chart and Mm -hmm. I had this team reporting to me, but a leader doesn't need to be given authority. Exactly. And man, it it is a huge, like when I first heard that years ago, uh, I was in the middle of working in a corporate organization and it really allowed me to think, wow, yeah, I am getting more calls now than I did a couple of years ago. People are calling me. I'm leading. Yes. You know what? I'm getting calls from people that are higher up than me inside the organization. And I had no realization that, oh, wait, that is what leadership is. When, when uh, the senior vice president in an organization is calling a manager for help and insight. Right. Yes. That's leadership. Yes. It doesn't all, you don't always have to wait to be led. Uh, when, right. So for you in your career, uh, was there a moment where you had that realization that you were leading? Or, I mean, maybe it was in that moment that you just shared about the twist in your career when you, when you just uh, made the discovery, what was that for you? Yeah, I would say, you know, there was a specific time when an opportunity came up and I didn't really pursue it. But because I had success in my role and I was, you know, getting the calls from the other general managers Mm -hmm. and, you know, my boss came to me and just said, you know, why did you not apply to this role? And I explained that I just had my second child. I did not give anything. I I do less than 100%. And with the travel, I just didn't think I could commit and give that 100%. And we had a great discussion and he asked, you know, could I do it if I didn't have to do overnight travel and I could just do same day trips? And to me, it was like, wow, like he's coming to me wanting me to do this. And, and I think that was the first, the realization <laughs> wow. of like, wow, I guess I am. And, and the fact that he came to me and, and offered that flexibility, I mean, that, that changed the course of my career because then mm. I felt like, wow, I can make this work. I can do 100% and you know, build my support system to be successful. And I, and I, I don't think I had realized um, that I was capable of that until he came and had that conversation with me. Yeah. A lot to dissect there. First of all, flex work flexibility, I believe is a form of compensation. So someone says, Lori, um, I've got this job. It's a 30% raise for you. And you're like, well, not interested, but Hey, Lori, 30% raise plus we have flexibility and we're going to work with you. And we're going to do these types of things to, to, to really make it work. Uh, man. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because um, our HR department was sharing a stat and I don't remember the exact numbers, but um, they were saying how, you know, a man will only apply for a role if, uh, if they'll apply for a role, if they have 70% of the requirements and capabilities and women typically won't, unless it's 90 some percent, because we want to make sure Mm. we're checking all the boxes and hitting all the boxes. And so for me, for him, that was a small box. Like, listen, don't travel overnight. Just go for the day. That's fine. As long as you can do it within that amount of time. For me, I thought, whoa, if I don't check that one box, I'm not going to be able to do it. And that was another interesting kind of realization of, of opportunities and how to look at them. Yes. I have heard that same. There is some kind of study that that was, and, yeah. and I have heard that similar thing. In fact, I have a friend 
who uh, is applying for different project management roles. And the roles that she was applying for, she was not getting any calls back, but she's working for a specific certification and it's, mm-hmm. it's on a form and you have to check the box if you have the certification. And I'm like, well, have you been checking that box? And she's like, well, no, I don't have the certification, Like, but you're going to have it in six months. I said, right. do me a favor, just start checking that box on the form and see if you start getting interviews. Yeah. And Changed everything. She started getting interviews immediately yeah. Yeah. and they were okay with it. She even said, mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't have to overly advertise. You don't have it. Just if they, you know, yes. but she would like out for like, I don't have that certification, but I'm going to have it in six months. And they're like, great. Yep. Like it was That's no, right. no problem. And so um, right. to your point, I think, you know, don't negotiate against yourself. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. That's right. Let the world negotiate with you. That uh, is but absolutely don't, right. But don't do it yourself. So wrapping this up, this has been so awesome, Lori. Uh, what's a parting thought or message or something that you'd like to leave with our listeners here today? I think it's a, you know, first and foremost, you know, you can do it all as long as you prioritize well, delegate well, and have a great support system around you. So don't limit yourself. And I think always have somebody by your side in some capacity, friend, family, spouse, whatever that believes in you more than you believe in yourself, because I think that that support system is super important. Um, And I think that, you know, there's, like I said, lots of ways that you can impact your organization, regardless of where you are in the organization. And every role is critical. um, And your success is dependent upon, you know, the actions that you take and the leadership that you can show. So those would be a few parting, parting comments. Wow. Home run interview from Lori Stacy. Lori, thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.